guys. Welcome back to the Dark Light Podcast. I'm Joe. <laughs> I'm Jen. <laughs> and today's episode is not what you guys were hoping for. Sorry, we have not finished part two yet. We will be getting it out to you in no time. I'm just working on, on the last little parts here, the last little details. Um, but today we are going to surprise you with a surprise episode on the horrible deaths of Reggie and Carol Sumner. Jen, take it away. Reggie and Carol had met in high school. They even had a brief romance that slithered away when the couple went off to college. Reggie had served time in the Navy and went on to marry his first wife while making his income on the railroads. Carol had been married twice. Her first marriage ended in divorce. Her second marriage was extremely abusive. In February of 1987, her second husband pulled a gun on her and shot her eight times. He ran after the shooting, and when the police caught up with him, he turned the gun and shot himself. He did not survive. Carol miraculously survived the whole ordeal. Her daughter, Rhonda Alford, who was 10 at the time, had stepped up and took care of her mother. Once Carol Carol healed, she got back to work, working multiple jobs to support her family. In 2000, Reggie was working at a cable television company when a phone call came in. Reggie answered, and on the other line was none other than his high school sweetheart, Carol. The two met up and they spent all their time together. A year later, they were married. The couple lived in South Carolina, watching their neighborhood kid grow up. That child was Tiffany Cole. It was said that Tiffany was like a grandchild to the couple. And when her father got sick, Reggie and Carol stepped in to help. In March 2005, the couple moved to Jacksonville, Florida. Both their families weren't very good. (laughs) Both their (laughs) healths weren't very good as Carol had liver cancer and hep C from a blood transfusion from when she got shot by her first, second husband. Second husband, yeah. Second husband. And fibromyalgia and Reggie suffered from diabetes and a broken leg. Moving to Jacksonville would be the best interest to help with their health. Both Reggie and Carol suffered from osteoporosis. They sold their Chevrolet Lumina to Tiffany, who would drive from South Carolina to Jacksonville to make payments for the car. The Sumners offered Tiffany their home to stay in whenever she was in the Jacksonville area. On the weekend of May 14, 2005, Tiffany had gone to Myrtle Beach with two of her friends. There in the lobby, she had met a man who would change the outcome of her life. She met a man by the name of Michael Jackson. Not the Michael Jackson, obviously. The two agreed to have a fun relationship for a time. On June 4th, Michael had asked Tiffany to go with him to Jacksonville to meet up with his friend, Ellen Lindell Wade. They arrived back to Charleston on that same day. On June 13th, 2005, Michael had come up to Tiffany with $10,000. Michael had told Tiffany it was from a sale of some property. He proceeded to give her $1,000 to rent a car. Alan and Michael would leave for a couple of nights and come back with more money. One time they came back with about $5,000. The three of them took the money to Myrtle Beach where they partied, shopped, and spent lots of money when michael wanted to go to jacksonville tiffany remembered that carol and reggie had said 
She was more than welcome to stay the night if she ever was in the area. She called the couple and Michael and Tiffany spent the night. Carol and Reggie had mentioned to Tiffany that they had sold their property in Charleston for just under $100,000. Michael was not in the room, but the door was open and he overheard the conversation. Michael then started plotting a robbery of the couple. On June 30th, Michael and Tiffany headed back to Charleston. The first idea that came to mind was Michael was going to break in while the couple was gone. Things started to get more serious than just a robbery. Now the plot was to murder them. Originally, the plan was to inject the couple with a lethal dose of medication. They decided something much more sinister. In June 2005, Alan rented a car so he could go visit his friend Bruce Kent Nixon. During that visit, during that visit, Alan confided in Bruce that he was planning to rob a couple. He never gave any other ideas. Bruce was on board. He stole shovels from around his neighborhood. All four of them, Tiffany, Michael, Alan, and Bruce, drove across state line into Georgia to a remote wooded location and started digging a hole six feet deep and four feet wide. In Georgia, the group went out and purchased disposable gloves, duct tape, plastic wrap, and a toy gun, all in preparation for the murder and burglary. On July 8th, in the rental car, a Mazda RX-8, the group headed towards a couple's home. Tiffany and Michael said that Tiffany and Michael stayed in the rental car down the street. Around 10 p.m., Reggie and Carol heard a knock on their door. It was Alan and Bruce. They said that they needed to use their phone because they were having some car troubles. Carol let the two men in, wanting to help in any way she could. Once inside the house, the two men aimed a toy gun at Reggie and Carol. The couple was forced into their bedroom, restrained with duct tape over their eyes and mouth. Alan disabled the phone lines while Bruce tied the couple's hands and feet with duct tape. Michael then entered the home looking for all the valuables, including an important financial statement and a coin collection that Reggie owned. Bruce and Alan then stuffed the couple into the trunk of their own Lincoln Town car and drove to Georgia where they had dug that hole. When they got into the woods and opened the trunk, they found that Reggie and Carol had gotten out of the duct tape and they also took the duct tape off of their eyes and they were holding each other. They were praying. At some point, Alan and Michael obtained their bank card pin. After recovering their eyes with duct tape, Michael said it was a mind game, and he didn't want to look into their eyes as he killed them. The couple were placed in a hole and buried alive. Tiffany and Bruce were waiting in the other rental Mazda up the road from the woods. They followed Michael and Alan in the Mazda as they drove Reggie and Carol's car to Sanderson, Florida, where they wiped the interior of the car clean, leaving the shovels in the truck. They went back to the Sumner's Sumner. Sumner house to steal a computer, and some jewelry they left at the scene. Elida Sumners was Carol's sister-in-law who lived back in Jacksonville. She had talked to Carol on the 8th of July and asked if she needed help moving a TV. Carol said she didn't as she had a friend from Charleston and her friend were coming up to help move the TV. Rhonda, Carol's daughter, couldn't get a hold of her mom or her stepdad. This was super unusual as they spoke almost every day. 
On July 10th, she called the, the police department to report that she hadn't heard from her parents in a few days and was worried. Police arrived at the home. They noticed the car was gone and inside. Dinner was left on the stove. Medication was left at home, which was unusual. And they also found Carol's day planner and cell phone, which she never left her home without. The dog was left unsupervised. And Reggie's cane and wheelchair were left at the house as well. Detectives began investigating the scene. Detective David Makem called the Sumner's bank and asked for any transaction information, but asked for the account to be left open. They started investigating inside the house. On July 10th, an off-duty Jacksonville Sheriff Patrol Officer Vindell Williams found an abandoned car, Lincoln Town Car, but at the time he did not know it was related in the incident. On July 12th, he went back and reported the vehicle after hearing a report of a a stolen vehicle matching the description. Detectives released a suspicious call from somebody claiming to be Reggie Sumner. The detectives knew this was not him due to the voice sounding like a real young man instead of an older man in his early 60s. This caller told detectives that him and his wife, Carol, had gone to Delaware for a funeral. He said that a friend called him to tell him his house was broken into and the car was stolen. The man on the other line then proceeded to ask about bank accounts because his card was not working. Detective Makem then inquired about the names of the pets left at the house, where in Delaware they were located and the airline they took to fly there. Makem determined that the town they were in was in fact not a town at all, and the airline they said that they had used was an airline that only handled cargo flights. When detectives asked to speak to Carol, a woman answered the phone. While detectives knew that this was not Carol, as it was a young woman on the phone, they were trying to triangulate the phone calls. And so they kept the woman who was posing as Carol on the phone long enough so that they could triangulate them. They later would find out that it was Michael posing as Reggie and Tiffany posing as Carol. The cell phone was linked to a, to a David Jackson with a Charleston address. They were able to find that the cell phone was used to call Triangle Rental Car. The car was overdue, so the company used the car's GPS to locate the rental. The GPS did not track in real time, but had tracked where the car had been. One location being near the location of the Sumner's home in Jacksonville, and another location was at the ATM that the Sumner's bank card was used. A neighbor of the Sumner's reported seeing the car in their driveway two to three times on July 4th and again on July 8th around 11.30 p.m., though she never saw anyone who was connected to the car. Tracking the bank account, which Detective Makem had asked to leave open, authorities were able to track the group to a motel in Charleston. At the hotel, they arrested Tiffany, Michael, and Alan on July 14th. Inside the room, they found Carol's car keys, a suitcase containing the Sumner's financial documents, and a receipt from things they had purchased with the Sumner's bank card. 
Along with everything else they found, Carol and Reggie's driver's license and their credit cards and checkbooks. They pawned off all the stolen goods they had taken from the home. Only $1,000 was withdrawn from the couple's bank account, and they also had a paper trail of $8,000 from the Sumner's bank account being transferred into Allen's bank account. In Tiffany's car, they found Reggie's coin collection. When searching for the rented Mazda, which had not been returned yet, they found a magazine addressed to the Sumner's with Allen's fingerprints on it. And a roll of plastic wrap was also found that contained Tiffany and Michael's fingerprints on it. The next day, July 15th, Bruce was found and arrested in connection to the murders. In return for a lighter sentence, Bruce agreed to lead the police to Carol and Reggie's bodies. Okay, guys, this is really sad, so buckle up. Just just hug yourself because this is really sad. (laughs) It is really sad. When they dug up the bodies, they found the couple... They had gotten the duct tape off of them again, and they were found wrapped in each other's arms. Oh. At least they... Had each other? Yeah. Still sad. It's so sad. The couple was still fully clothed in their pajamas, and a roll of duct tape that was used in the crime was found nearby. Before I get into the autopsy, let's jump back and find out what the group was doing after the murders but before they were finally arrested. They had gone out and partied. They rented a limo with the stolen bank card, took pictures with all the stolen goods, and drank champagne. Jumping forward to the autopsy now. <laughs> the autopsy confirmed what police were afraid happened. The medical examiner determined that there is dirt found inside their mouths, throats, nostrils, esophagus, and tracheas until the couple died of mechanical asphyxiation (laughs) i can't say that word the couple was buried alive and the earth had compressed their lungs with the plea deal that bruce took he had to testify against his co-conspirators conspirators conspirators sorry conspirators conspirators and pled guilty to second-degree murder. He was sentenced to 45 years in prison since he took investigators to find the bodies of Carol and Reggie. Tiffany was the connection to the victims and the murderers. Her trial took place in October of 2007. Tiffany claimed that she only agreed to the burglary and she was unaware of the kidnapping and murder plot. She said she had only found out about the plot to bury them alive when she drove to the shallow grave. She said that she had no idea that as they drove up to the site, that Carol and Reggie were bound in the trunk of the other car. Tiffany claimed that it was Michael who pushed the couple into the grave after gaining their bank card information. The prosecutor then reminded the jury that she was at the scene while the hole was being dug. The prosecutors even came forward that she held a flashlight while the group dug the grave. Judge Michael Weatherby pointed out that Tiffany helped buy supplies for the crime and that she posed as Carol on the phone when Michael had called the detectives. Her defense attorney claimed that Tiffany was under the control of Michael, who was believed to be the mastermind behind the murders. The jury deliberated and came to a verdict of 9-3 to for the death penalty. She was convicted of first-degree murder, kidnapping, and robbery. On May 6, March 6, 2008, Tiffany Cole 
was sentenced in Duval Duval County for the role she played in the double homicide and was taken to Lowell Corrections Institution where she sits on death row. Michael, Tiffany, and Ellen had all been sentenced to death in connection with the robbery, kidnapping, and murders. While sitting on death row, Ellen started writing a woman by the name of Singred. <laughs> Singred. She had been writing to inmates on death row when she wrote to Alan, and soon later a relationship through the letters would develop between the two. The couple married, despite knowing what he was in prison for. Conjugal visits were not permitted at the Union Correctional Institution where Alan was being held, but some. But somehow, Sigrid got pregnant with Alan's baby. So either, my guess is either she's lying that it's Alan's, or they paid some, some officers off there. Yeah. Uh, Sigrid said her family and friends do not approve of this relationship, and many people in her life have since disappeared since the marriage, marriage was official. Her and Wade are allowed to speak on the phone once a month, and Sigrid frequently sends Alan videos of their son. Alan said to his wife, people stigmatize you just for being in a relationship with me, but I know people who judge you that way are a waste of skin. To which I say, no, sir, you're a waste of skin. Ditto. And I approve that message. Tiffany has since wrote letters to the Sumner's family asking for forgiveness. Some had forgiven her for whatever reason. They have not forgotten what she did to them, and they do believe that she deserves to spend the rest of her life behind bars for what they, for what she had put their family through. Carol Sumner's son, Fred Hollick, said, Anybody who feels sorry for this woman, all they need to do is look at the picture of them taking his parents out of the grave. The death sentence for Tiffany Allen and Michael have all been expunged a law was passed in florida that states that any death penalty must be unanimous unanimous yes that first word is not unanimous (laughs) (laughs) and since the jury was not unanimous the death penalty will be thrown out for the three of them and they will be eligible for a new trial Tiffany doesn't feel she should be convicted of first-degree murder since she did not bury the bodies. In Florida, though, anyone who had involvement in a murder can be tried as if they committed the murder. Her new lawyers came out and said, quote, Cole's appointed trial counsel was ineffective in both the guilt and penalty phases for failing to adequately investigate her background and psychological deficiencies in order to show that she was under extreme duress and effectively under the control of her co-defendants during the time of the offense. Her trial counsel sufficiently investigated Cole's psychological makeup and history. They would have discovered that Cole does not interact well with men and is generally fearful, intimidated, and willing to please." The previous jury never heard anything about her mental health, dysfunctional family upbringing, substance abuse, or her low intelligence. 
Cole said that her father sexually abused her as a child, causing her to run away at the age of 12. She dropped out of school as a teenager and left home, turning to drugs and prostitution. Prosecutors? Prosecutors say that her previous lawyers, Till and Morris, Morris, put up a good defense on behalf of Tiffany. Tiffany has been granted a new sentencing hearing, and we suspect that Michael Jackson, not the Michael Jackson, but a Michael Jackson, (laughs) and Alan Wade will also be granted the same. Thanks for listening to the Dark Light Podcast. Follow us on Instagram, dark.klight.podcast underscore. And on Twitter at darklightpod1. You can email us at darklightpodcast at hotmail.com with any episode requests, stories of yours you want to be on an upcoming sequel called Crowd Chronicles. We will see you next Tuesday. And to remember, keep your lights on!